Before I uh, dismiss the children, I want you to know that this week was a glorious week for me because I got to bring three of our kids out for ice cream this week. Yes! We went to, uh, we went over to the ice cream garage and I just want to, uh, for Hannah and Savannah and Zach, they did their Bible learning, they did their Bible memory, they are digging into those Bibles that we gave them and so let's just encourage them. And I did cast a little shame initially on Zach because he just got a vanilla soft serve cone. And I was like, with all the options available, in my mind, that's unthinkable. But he loved it. And so he was happy and I was happy and that was good. And so we just want to encourage parents to continue to read, get your kids into their word and reading. And, and uh, we believe in families uh, discipling their children. So uh, continue, parents, to get your kids into the word. We want to bless our children as they are heading off now. Uh, to learn more about God and who he is. So if you have a child that is sitting near you that looks like they need a blessing, aim your hand towards them. And uh, together we are going to say, the Lord be with you. All right, thank you. As the children are heading out, I just want to uh, make you aware as a church family that this week uh, one of those in our church family passed away, Jewel Borgeld, uh, passed away peacefully this week. Uh, with her family surrounding her, and it is a loss for our church family and obviously their church family. The funeral will be happening on Tuesday, June 27th, and uh, so we just want you to remember Bob and their family during this time and maybe send a note, a card, and just as they walk through this difficult season together. But we know in that, our God is always with us. That's what he promises, to never leave us or forsake us, and that's the God that we worship and we celebrate today. We're going to look at our Bibles uh, to see what God may have to say to us today in 2 Corinthians 8. Second Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 12. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth here, and he says these words. And now, brothers and sisters... We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service, in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier, uh, made it a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test you, the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich." 
And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have a desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, to God. Thanks be to God. Father, we ask as we come here today that you would open up our hearts to accept your word. And silence in us, God, voice, any voices but your own, so that we may hear your word and we may also do it through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. This morning I have a very simple question for you. And the question is this, how are you doing at climbing the generosity ladder? How are you doing at climbing the generosity ladder? Now this may look like an old paint-covered ladder from the Orchard Hill storeroom, but no, it is not. It is the generosity ladder. And I want to ask you today, how are you doing on climbing the generosity ladder. Now some of you are looking at me quite blankly and uh, you're thinking, I did not even know there was such a thing as a generosity ladder. I, in fact, I, I didn't even know that I needed to climb a generosity ladder. And that's fair because I don't believe that I've re ever really talked with you about a generosity ladder before. But I'm bringing it up this morning because I believe for every Christ follower, they should be seeking to climb up the generosity ladder. Did you hear the words that Paul wrote here in 2 Corinthians 8, 7? 2 Corinthians 8, 7. Paul says these words, but, oh my goodness, who are we? We are but people, right? The rest of the world is going one direction, but we follow Jesus so we move a completely different direction. Our lives should look different because we are the ones who are following Jesus. And so Paul says, but since you excel in everything, right? You excel as you are following Jesus Christ. You excel in faith. Yes, I believe strongly in faith, in speech. I am testifying about who Jesus Christ and giving a gospel in knowledge. I'm growing in my love of the, the word and in complete earnestness. Yes, I want to, to grow more in my faith. I want to know who God is and in your uh, love. And yes, I am loving others. See to it that you also also, here's one other thing, because we follow those other things in faith, right? I got faith, I'm speaking testimony, I'm giving, I'm loving. Paul says, I want you to also excel in this grace of giving. Did you hear that? An essential part of our faith is that we excel in the grace of giving. Now, the Greek word that's used here for excel means abundance it means overflowing it means here would be the expectation but you are piling on more and more it is going way beyond the bounds of anything that you can imagine you are excelling in the grace of giving Paul says that's your benchmark excel in the grace of giving 
That's the top of the ladder to excel in the grace of giving. And I am going to call it this morning ex being an extravagant giver. That's the top of the ladder. But that's not the top of the ladder for the world. Because the world is not about giving. The world is about holding on. The world is about getting, receiving, taking, accumulating, building bigger barns so I can eat, drink, and be merry. But Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. You excel in giving. You, as a Christ follower, aim for to be an extravagant giver. Oh no, why did I come this money morning? He's talking about money. If I just knew he was going to talk about money, I would have stayed home. And those of you who are watching online right now know you can't turn it off and head out to the beach. This is not a money conversation. This is a discipleship conversation. It's not a money conversation. It's a discipleship conversation. It's about following Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who by his very nature was an extravagant giver. In fact, we could go back right to the very beginning where God shows how much he is an extravagant giver, that when we were lost, when we were, when we were unable to do for ourselves to get out of that sin mess we created, God did something for us that says, for God so loved the world, he gave. gave. God gave, that's the very heart of our God, to be an extravagant giver. And what did God give? His only son. Something that he only had one of, his son. He gave his only son to the world. And he became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. The very heart of our God is to be an extravagant giver. And we see that in the life of Jesus. As Jesus came, Paul said that right here, though Jesus was rich, he became poor. poor for your sake. He became poor. He, he gave it all up for you. It, if you look at Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, it says this, that Jesus Christ, here in verse 6, Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on the cross I'm not exactly sure how all of this works theologians have debated this scripture passage back and forth a lot because it says here that Jesus had equality with God he's fully God but 
He emptied himself, it says here. He made himself nothing. I don't know what that means, what that means about God and, and what kind of limitations or restrictions and all of that. That's where the debate comes in. But I do know that he was almighty God and he decided to put himself for us to give in the form of a human body. So putting God into a human body makes, brings along some sort of, right? Some sort of uh, emptying. Here it says makes himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made human. Jesus gave up all that glory for heaven. He gave it up to come to earth, to live and to dwell with us. And then as he walked across the face of this earth, as we look at Jesus, when he saw a need, he met it. His hands were open. He taught. He healed. He loved. He fed. And when it came to the ultimate point where he had to give his life, he opened up his hands and he gave. He gave. That's the one we follow, Jesus Christ, an extravagant giver. This is a discipleship issue. Because if we say, I'm following in the footsteps of my rabbi, I want to be covered in his dust, I want to look exactly like my rabbi, the one that I'm following, then that means my very nature also needs to be an extravagant giver. And if I am the ambassador of Jesus Christ in this world, people will see that I'm leading with extravagant giving. If I'm shining a light on who Jesus is, they're going to see extravagant giving. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, our goal must be to become an extravagant giver. Now this is where the ladder comes into place. Uh, a ladder is simply a tool. Right? It's simply a tool. If you've ever um, painted or you changed a light bulb, you know that a ladder helps you reach places that you, could no long, you couldn't reach before you got on the ladder. And that's what the generosity ladder does. Although in general, you shouldn't trust ladders because you never know what they're up to. I actually got the directions for this ladder, and it was pretty easy. It said step one, step two, step three. <laughs> Let's continue with God's word, shall we? <laughs> the generosity ladder helps you move from one place to another. So obviously, the place where we are starting on this ladder is at the bottom. We're starting at the bottom, and I just want to say this as we're, as we're there at the bottom of the ladder. This is because we come into this world in, in, with our, our human nature, which is one of, of, of greed, which is one of what we said before, accumulating, which is one of consuming, and it's one that's focused on ourselves and our pride and our own things. And so we start at the very bottom of this ladder, and maybe some of us are here today. We haven't engaged in any kind of giving whatsoever. And I think we can extrapolate this word giving to not only touch on our finances, but also our time, our resources. I mean, this can be all of, all of us, all of our being. 
And we really haven't given much at all because we are in this world. We're consumed in this world with the way that the world just wants to hold on to things with closed hands. So if we're going to go up this ladder, we need to make a significant mind, mind shift while we're here down at the bottom. And that mind shift, because the Apostle Paul tells us we are transformed through the renewing of our minds, we need to make this mind shift to, to go up to extravagant giving. That mind shift is this, that it all belongs to God and my role as a manager. It all belongs to God and my role as a manager. So when I say that it, it's everything that you have. Everything that's in, in what you would say is your possession. Your house, your cars, your money, your job, your career, your children, your family. I mean, all of it belongs to God. God told Job this when Job was getting a little snarky with him. God said, everything under heaven belongs to me, Job. Just want to get that clear with you, pal. Everything under heaven belongs to me. In Psalm 24, it says to us, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live within it. Everything belongs to God. And this week I was reading Deuteronomy 8. And in Deuteronomy 8, I'm going to turn there just a minute because I think these words tie in exactly with what we're talking about this morning. Eventually I'll get there. Deuteronomy 8, and I'm looking at uh, verse 13. Deuteronomy 8, verse 13. God's people have just come out of Egypt. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. They're going from a place where they've had nothing into a place of blessing. And Moses says these words to them. He says, And when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. Boom! Right on the lower level. Your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God. It's mine. I own it. I hold on to it. It all belongs to me. I earned it. I deserved it. It's mine, mine, mine. And Moses says down in verse 18, he says, but remember, that's the key, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It all comes from God. It all belongs to him. That's the first mind shift that you have to make, that it belongs to God. And then, my role, the next piece falls in line pretty simply, is simply to manage it. According to whose purposes and whose ways? God's. It's all his, right? It's all God's. He's put this in my hand. He's given it to me, and so now I say, well, it's not mine. It's yours, God, so how do you want to use it? That's the lens that we begin to look through. Am I going to use it according to your ways, your purposes, God? The biblical word for this is steward. A steward in the ancient world was one who managed the affairs of a household. If I, you know, if I'm rich and I got a household and I got land and I got property and I got workers, I'm too busy to deal with it all. So I'm going to have a steward who takes care of everything. And so the steward manages it, but not for himself. He wants to do it according to the owner's purposes and the owner's ways. 
That's what Joseph's role was in the Old Testament. When Joseph worked for Potiphar, he was his steward, managing everything for Potiphar the way that he wanted it to. And that's what we do. God gives it all to us. He blesses us. And he says, now I want you to use it according to my purposes, in my ways, that I'm just simply here to manage it. That's the first mind shift that we have to make if we're going to begin moving ourselves up this ladder, that it all belongs to God, I'm simply here to manage it. If we don't get those two things right, it's kind of like the struggle that uh, I sometimes have in the morning when I'm getting dressed in the dark and you get the button going wrong on your shirt. Have you done that before? You get the button going wrong and you get to the end and nothing lines up and nothing straight. That's what happens here. Your finances, your giving, your heart will always be out of whack if we don't get these two things straight, that it all belongs to God and my role is a manager and I simply need to be a steward of it. So then we got that figured out. We can start our way up the ladder. And the first step on this ladder is to become what I'm going to call, not that, <laughs> I'm going to call this. Should have known it was the one at the bottom. Somebody laid it out. I laid it out so it would be right. It's my own fault. Uh, you're going to be an initial giver. That's it, step one. You're moving up the generosity ladder. Your first step is just to be an initial giver. Just give a gift. That's it. I, I know it belongs to God. I know it's his. I'm going to release some of it with open hands and give a gift. And when I come to worship, it's pretty easy. You can give a gift at the door. You can put it in the box at the door. You can follow the QR code. You can go online. You can give a gift. There's many ways you can give a gift. But we just simply come. And we come and we give a gift. That's it. That's the first step. Just open up your hand and begin giving. And I know some of us haven't ever done that. We just have not given because we've, we've been stuck down here on the bottom. We've been holding on to things. So could you release it and just simply make an initial gift to God? I'm going to step up and do that. And I want you to know, at this point, the enemy is going to start hollering in your ear. The enemy is going to come hollering in your ear. He is going to be louder than the 3,000 birds that live outside my bedroom window at 5 in the morning. I cannot sleep, Pat, because I don't know what's going on. They're, it's like bird party outside Bob's window. They're all just going loud. Ah, what's happening? They're just hollering. And that's what the enemy's going to do. You're going you're to think, you know what? I'm going to give God a gift. I'm going to give it to God's kingdom work. I'm going to give it to his purposes. The enemy doesn't want that to happen. He doesn't want it released for God's kingdom work because he knows what God can do with it. So the enemy's going to tell you, uh-uh, if you do that, you're not going to have enough. Keep it for yourself. But what about this thing that you wanted? You can't trust the people that you're giving it to. You're never going to have enough. How are you going to pay your bill? Oh, my goodness. And the enemy operates on a scarcity principle. He tries to scare us that we will never have enough. But I think what we need to do is not listen to the voice of the enemy. 
I think we ought to listen to the voice of the one that we're following. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. And we follow Jesus who says to us, do not worry. Do not worry. Seek first the kingdom of God. Release your life for the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added unto you. I mean, look at the birds. Stupid birds. They don't worry, and yet God takes care of them. Look at the fields and the flowers. They don't worry, and yet God clothes them. How much more do you think God's going to care for you, his child? That's the words of Jesus Christ. And he says, give. Now that I have set an example for you, you go and set an example. And so we should listen to Jesus and say, yeah, that's who I'm listening to. And so I'm going to give a gift. I'm going to give an initial gift. I'm going to flee that voice of Satan, and I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. And then you give that initial gift, and you don't want to just stay here. This is a step to go somewhere else. I mean, staying here is like, like getting your uh, towel and your swimsuit and getting it all together and you go to the pool and you just dip your toe in for a 90 degree day. You just sit there with one toe in for the whole day. No, you're ready to go in and enjoy the water and cool off and enjoy the experience. And the same thing is moving up the ladder as we move towards extravagant giving, we get to experience the blessings of God, which we're going to talk more about next week. That's where we want to go. We don't want to stay down here. Oh my goodness, no. Why would we stay down there? I'm following Jesus, who's the extravagant giver. And so then I would just encourage you to begin thinking about making an intentional gift. Being an intentional giver. This is like, yes, I I made a gift. I did it today, it's kind of random. I did it now, I did it then, I'm doing it periodically. But what if you were an intentional giver? That you said, yes, I'm gonna give to God. I'm gonna be an extravagant giver and I'm gonna do it intentionally. I've thought about it. I've thought this through. And I want to honor God. Remember what what Moses said to the people? He said, remember. Remember God. Intentional giving helps us to remember God. Helps us remember where it came from, whose it is, what my role is with it. So God built that into the, the laws in the Old Testament. He built that into the laws of the Old Testament for God's people to remember and come and give to him. That every time they showed up to worship, they brought something to God. Why? So they would remember it all belongs to God. Why? So that they would remember I'm just a steward of it. Why? Because it's in response to the grace that God has poured out to me and all that he continues to bless me with. And so God, so he built it into the the law. And that's where we read in the Old Testament a lot about the tithe. A tithe was just 10, it's a tenth, 10%. We hear about this word. God said this in Leviticus 27, 30. A tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain or fruit, is the Lord's, and it's holy. How about that? Holy, set apart, sacred, belonging to God. Maybe that's why God got so bent in Malachi. And he says, you know what, people? You're robbing me. And they're like, well, how are we robbing you? We're not robbing you. He goes, with your tithe. Because in God's eyes, that tenth is holy. 
Because you're remembering him. Your heart is turned towards him. You're making God first in your life by saying, I'm going to give to you, God. And so we give a tenth to God. And, and if you think about it, right, that's really a pretty good deal, isn't it? Wouldn't you take this deal? Rob, I have a deal for you this morning. Here's my deal. Yeah, I got a deal for you this morning, Rob. I have $10 for you. Would you like to take, would you like these $10? Sure. Okay. <laughs> but here's my one thing that I'm asking of you. Here's your $10. Okay. I just want $1 back. Can I have a dollar back? Sure. Okay. You'll take that deal? Yeah. Yeah. Who wouldn't take that deal? That's what God is asking of us. To tithe. To give a tenth of what we have. And that's what God is, is asking of us. He said, give it back to me to show that I'm first in your life. Because it overlaps here also, which we read in the, in the Bible, with, with the idea of first fruits. First fruits. Give me a tithe and first fruits. The first fruits, it's pretty simple. Bring me your first fruit. So if you're harvesting grapes, I want the first grapes that you harvest. If, if you're harvesting sheep, I want the first wool that you can take off the sheep. If it's wheat, I want the first wheat. God is saying, I don't want you to remember me and show your love for me and respond to my grace by giving me leftovers. I mean, nobody likes that, right? I mean, if I'm sitting there and it's night and I say to my wife, Amy, I go, hey, Amy, could you bring us both a bowl of Chex Mix? Yeah, mm. my mouth is getting watering for Chex Mix. And Amy comes, and, she, and, she, and she's got two bowls, and hers is full with all the nummy Chex Mix off from the top of the box. But my bowl is filled with all the crumbs from the bottom of the box. Nobody likes a broken bagel chip. Bagel chips are the best, but they got to be whole, right? Who would like that? But yet, don't we do that with God? God, you're going to get the leftovers. God says, no. Seek first the kingdom of God. And we bring God the best. We switch the two bowls. I'm going to eat the, the bowl with the crumbs. I'm going to give my best to God because I love him, because of his grace, because of who he is, because of what he's done, and because of the example he has given me to be an extravagant giver. And so God's going to get the first. And so I give intentionally to God. Could you build that into the rhythm of your life to start giving intentionally? The Apostle Paul told the churches as they were wrestling through this, he says, here's what you do. He says, I want you to think through and you decide how much you're going to set aside. Go, think of it ahead of time. Don't just all of a sudden show up and then go, oh, I got to give. I don't know what to do. Oh, my wallet's empty. Oh, I don't know. My phone's not working. I can't give on. Think ahead. Plan it out. Because you're living this life before God. And bring it when you come to worship. When you come to worship God. Set that pattern in your life so that you will remember. Now, usually at this point, somebody always comes after me and they say well pastor bob the tithe was of the old testament and in the new testament jesus came to fulfill the law and so we don't have to follow the tithe laws anymore well thank you for bringing that up because you're wrong <laughs> jesus 
in Matthew 23, 23, I'm going to turn there, in Matthew 23, 23, says this to who else is he dealing with? The teachers of the law and Pharisees. He says, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. A very good thing, right? They're honoring the law. They're giving their tenth. But you neglect the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You, you forgot those things. You're just trying to do this one little thing by the law. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Jesus doesn't do away with tithing. He didn't say that here. Jesus said, no, you keep doing it. You keep tithing. You keep giving God your first fruits. You keep bringing, being intentional in what you give to God, but then you also live fully with God's heart towards people. That's what the law expects of you. And Jesus, he came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. In every instance that I see of Jesus, he always raised the bar higher, did he not? I mean, people are like, oh, you know what, Jesus? I've been very good this week. I have not committed adultery. Like, oh, yeah? Did you look at a woman lustfully? Yeah? Did you see that? Did you keep watching that advertisement on TV? Did you keep watching that commercial over and over again, lusting after those women? Hmm? Then gouge your eye out. He kept raising the standards for us, doesn't he? And Jesus is doing that here. And can we possibly think that Jesus would say to us, I'm here now, and as you worship God, you can show him your love by just getting rid of that 10%. You can bring him less. Bring him one. Bring him none. Because you're not holding the... Do we honestly think Jesus would have said that? I'm like, no. He would have said, do more. Bring God more. Show love more, because you can't love both God and money at the same time. Amen. Show who you're going to love, and release this to God, and give it to him. Give it to him. As I said, next week we're going to talk more about moving up the ladder, but it, I just want to encourage you at this point to just wrestle with, does my mindset need to change? Do I really need to wrestle with this? Maybe you need to spend some time in prayer saying, God, I'm struggling here to release things. I'm struggling, God, to, to say this is yours and I'm just going to manage it. And then as you begin to think about giving an initial gift, you need to push away the enemy that's been whispering in your ear. You need to deal with that. And as you give your intentional gift, let's continue to give it with the idea that I'm moving towards extravagance. And when I was thinking about this this week, I couldn't help but think, of the woman who came to Jesus. He's eating. She comes up behind Jesus. She brings a jar, it says, of expensive alabaster perfume. Some commentators will say it could have been a year's wages. It was very, very expensive. And what does she do? She pours the whole jar out on Jesus' feet to worship him. She wipes it with her hair to worship him. And the people around the table are like, oh, that's such a be No, they're like, what are you doing? Jesus, do you see that woman? She just wasted that entire jar of perfume. That's a lot of money, Jesus. They were indignant, the scriptures say. She shouldn't be doing that in any way. And Jesus says, 
No. She's done what's right. I mean, that woman did not come in and go, well, here's my alabaster jar of perfume. It's very expensive. And I brought my eyedropper here, Jesus, just to make sure that I can get a tenth of it out of this jar. And Jesus, I'm going to get a tenth. Jesus, here is a tenth. I love you, Jesus. I don't think he would have been honored by that at all. But he's honored by the extravagance. Because she knew, Jesus said, she knew that her sins were forgiven. And it all comes back to that very first song we sang, the grace. That's what this is all rooted in. Do we know what our God has done for us? And once we know what our God has done for us, our journey will be upward the ladder towards becoming an extravagant giver, not only because it's a response of our love for God, but also because it was the character of the one that we follow. And my prayer and hope is that Orchard Hill will continue to be a church that gives extravagantly. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for uh, you and your heart for us, which is so large, and that you've given everything to us when we were so undeserving. And we thank you for Jesus Christ who was willing to give his all for us as well. And God, we ask now that as we live here in this world that we would give our all to you in response to your love for us, but also that we would give our all to serve this world, to bless this world, to help this world look more and more like the kingdom of God. And we know that you have entrusted this church right here, Orchard Hill, with all that we need to do all that you have for us to do. And God, we're... We ask that you would continue to release within this community blessings of our time, of our resources, of our gifts, of our money, so that we can bring your kingdom to this community like it's never been brought before. God, help us to be generous. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people say.